You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, we've been in the book of Mark, the first chapter. And man, can you believe how much is in the first 45 verses of chapter 1? I mean, we've understood and I've explained and gone over that Mark is a gospel that's not written to the Jews. It's written more toward the Gentiles. It's more toward the Greeks. So you don't get a whole lot of prophecy fulfillment from the Old Testament with the Messiah Jesus. You know, the Gentile world doesn't even know who the Messiah is but they understand Lord. And so we're, we're getting a, a portrayal of, of Christ and telling of the story, and it goes so quickly. So we're racing to the cross, and we continue today, beginning at verse 35 of chapter one. Very early in the morning, while it was dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to freely and to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Oh, Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at Jesus' example of prayer. Here we see it at the very beginning of his ministry. However, prayer wasn't just at the beginning of his ministry. Prayer has always been a part of his life. And so as we, as we look at this today, we see that it's in the morning. How many like to pray in the morning? Any hands? 10, okay. That's about one third, one fourth congregation. <laughs> uh, while it's still dark, now technically you could say, I like to pray in the morning at 11.59 a.m., you know, and, and, and be there for that morning prayer. Well, it's really interesting as, as we see this little snapshot of Jesus's practice, it's in the morning, it's still dark, everyone's still asleep, and he gets up. While I was in bed this morning, woke up, 
knowing what I'm preaching on. I'm saying, Lord, I'd like to just stay right here and just continue to just pray, just worship you, just enjoy the wonderfulness of you and the comfort of my king-size bed. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and then I remembered, oh, but you got to tell the people today, Jesus got up. <laughs> you got to get up. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, I better get up. And so as I got up, I was just thinking, but Lord, it's still legal to pray in bed, okay, just so that everybody knows. But here in this, in this snapshot, in the midst of the beginning of Jesus's ministry, we see that the exhaustion of the night before, the whole town, the village, Peter's mother-in-law healed the fever gone, casting out demons, healing many of the sick, all the townspeople came. You probably didn't get to bed early the night before, but here he's getting up. Tells me that, that Jesus knows something about the importance of connecting with his Father before the day begins. There's something of that, that connection point of the oneness of the Godhead that there's something in him that longs, and so he gets up. Now, is Jesus polite? He doesn't want to wake everybody up in the house. That could be part of it, could be social. But it could be that as he gets up, he leaves the house, he goes out to a, a lonely place, a solitary place. He goes to a specific location. Sometimes, you know, for, for us, it's like we, we need to leave the familiar if we're going to connect with the Lord. Sometimes we're just so used to the routine of things. And I find that here in the midst of the early part of his, of his ministry, he's taken special care to make sure that he can go out to a solitary place. Why a solitary place? Because the intimacy with the Father was supreme, supreme desire of his heart. And so I find that the principle, the more private the places, the more intimate you can be. Debbie and the kids were sleeping in the parsonage up in Maryville, Indiana. Parsonage is on the front part of a 10-acre plot of ground. Church is in the center of it. Cornfields all around it. I would get up, leave the house, walk a couple acres over, go into the church building, and had absolute privacy. So I could sing to the Lord, I could shout to the Lord, I could cry out to the Lord, I could do anything that I wanted to do. Matter of fact, I would do it in all sorts of fashion statements. Most of the time it was my gym shorts and, and, and t-shirt. And I'd just go over and be in the sanctuary and I could spend time with them. And that became such a, such a sacred place for me because it was private, there was no interruptions, and I could just be with the Lord. The heart of, of Jesus is to be with his Father. So he goes out to this lonely place, he's with his Father. He, he's there, he's, he's communing with the Father until he gets interrupted. 
We don't know how long that was. It was before the sun came up that he went out and he stayed in tune with the Lord until Simon and the guys caught up with him. They tracked him down. They found him. They, they had to figure out where did he go? And that's one of the things that I love about the Little Chosen series. It's, it, you know, they're, they're talking amongst them in kind of the, the camp, the encampment that they have. And they said, where is he? Well, he's out talking with the father. <laughs> you know, who knows where he is? Did, is? Do you know where he is? I don't know where he is. Do you know? And it's like he, he disappears for the intimate times that he can have with the Lord. And so Jesus is enjoying that. And, and then they come and they, they interrupt. So when he goes to a solitary place there, he prays until he's found. Ah. I want to encourage us today, just from uh, the exhortation about prayer, to start praying a new way. Let's continue to let our understanding of prayer develop. I find that uh, my prayer life is always changing. Uh, as soon as I find something that I feel like this is just, you know, this is revolutionary, this is changing my life. And then after a year or so, it's like, oh, it's, it's kind of become routine, hasn't it? And it's, it's, the, it's the conversation with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that needs to be continually on the cutting edge of development in your life. I find that the motivations of my prayer life have changed. I used to pray to get stuff. So I had a whole list of things that I needed. Lord, help, 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 help. And then I, I, I find that my, the purpose of why I pray changes. Sometimes it was, Lord, I got to preach Sunday. Help. And guess what? Sunday comes every week. That's true. But then it's the focus of prayer. I, I, I pray for people in difficult situations. Oftentimes the Afghanistan and the, and the Haiti earthquake, those kind of things are heavy on our hearts. And so I would focus my prayer time on those. Sometimes how I pray, it's changed. The structure of my prayer has changed. I remember when Larry Lee came out with his revolutionary prayer revival on could you not tarry one hour? And it was all about praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and how to use that as a model and you could use it. And I find I could pray for an hour easy just going through that model. It was just amazing and I loved it. And I thought, yes, I prayed for an hour. And it was really, really interesting because sometimes I was, I was fixated on how long I prayed because the longer I pray, the more spiritual I am. And so it's like, oh, I prayed for 58 minutes. I gotta go two more minutes and then I will have met the hour requirement. Could you not tarry one hour? That's what Jesus asked his disciples when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, right before he goes to the cross. He's calling them to pray and, and they fell asleep and they fell asleep and they fell asleep. And it's like, okay, Lord, I, I wanna pray more than 60 minutes. Now, here, here's the funny thing. This is just my experience. It's not a doctrinal statement. I would find that some mornings 
praying to 60 minutes was like pulling teeth. It was agonizing. Time seemed like it stopped. And I felt like an eternity took place. And, and as I was waiting for, to get to the 60 minutes so I could say, check, I prayed. I tarried one hour. Then the 60 minute mark hit and his presence fell. And it's like, oh, well, I'm not gonna stop now. You know, my, my legalistic system says, now you're, you're done. But now I just broke through into his presence. I got past my religiosity and I got into his presence and it's like, oh, let's, let's continue. Let's continue to fellowship. Let's stay in this state. All this to say, there is no right or wrong way to pray. Wherever you are in your walk with God, you will find that there will always be another dimension that he wants to add to the intimacy of fellowshipping with you, heart to heart, spirit to spirit, body to body. He wants to continue to, to develop you in your conversations with him, to him, and together with him for others. And so I hope that helps. I remember one time I had a prophetic brother said, the Lord says, pray bigger prayers. Boy, that hit me like a freight train. It was just like, whoa. I thought I'd prayed some pretty big prayers. But you know, God's bigger than what I thought he was. And it's time to say, okay, Lord, let's start praying bigger prayers. So let's pray in a new way. Don't worry about doing it wrong. And that was part of some of us. We're so, so careful that we don't want to do it wrong, that we don't experiment and try new ways of praying. I guarantee you the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit will give you the adjustments that you need as you go about your pursuit and journey in prayer. So pray. That's right. Follow Jesus. He prayed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you may want to sing your prayers. That's a good thing to do when you're in a solitary place. <laughs> so they found Jesus. They said, Jesus, guess what? You're popular. Everybody is looking for you. Everybody wants a piece of you. Uh, they've heard him teach. He's not teaching like the scribes and Pharisees. They've seen him exercise authority over the demonic realm. Who is this man that even the demons obey his voice? <laughs> and they've seen him heal the sick. And so they want Jesus. But here we get this general statement of Jesus's mission. He says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Wow. Jesus isn't about building some following. He's about proclaiming the Father's good news to as many as possible. And so he traveled throughout Galilee. 
some of us a travel. And there's reasons why we travel. It's so that we can share the good news with others in other geographical areas. He's preaching in their synagogues. He always went to the Jews first. He'd go into the local church, local synagogue, and there he would teach and he would drive out demons. I thought it was interesting that Mark, in the brevity of, uh, of his sentence, he doesn't say heal and drive out demons. He just says, and he would drive out demons. And so this gives you the general of, of how Jesus was functioning. But it's really interesting. How many times does Jesus do what we would call a healing and we find out that which was behind the illness or the infirmity was an evil spirit? Over and over, it, it seems to happen. I, I, I looked at a couple, the, the woman who was bent over for 18 years, bound by Satan. <laughs> Good thing to drive out demons. Because when you drive out demons, guess what? A lot of whatever they're connected to, whatever their activity is, is, is being released in the person as well. I don't know if, if you notice that, but it seems like a lot of the org, organs are, are, are really main functional organs are kind of right in the abdomen area. And it seems to be the places that the demonic loves to attach themselves to. That seems to be one of the, air, one of the ways in which they try to bring sickness and illness as they try to latch on to some form of, of, of the organ within our body systems. And uh, how many times have, have we seen, you know, kind of the, the enemy attached to the skeletal system and, and bring pain in joints and in backs and legs and uh, all those different places. And it's like, oh, but I'm a believer, so I'm not gonna pray, drive that demon out because I can't have a demon. I'm a believer. Yeah, you might have one. If you're not getting free from your pain, ask the Lord to remove all unclean spirits out of your life. And after you've done that, go a step further and say, Lord, I give you permission to remove all the strongholds out of my life. And if you want to go another step further, say, Lord, I ask that you break off and remove every agreement that I've made that's not of you. We begin to agree, they develop in the strongholds, and then they start to manifest in our, in our bodies. So Lord, do that. Now that's not to say that there's not organic illnesses, but a lot of functional illnesses, I think, may have some spiritual roots. So we need to be mindful of that, okay? So now we go from the general mission statement to the leper. We get real specific. Now we're down to another individual. We've done this throughout chapter one. We go from Peter's mother-in-law with the fever to healing the whole town and village. And now we go from uh, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons down to a very specific leper. 
And the leper comes, and he comes begging Jesus on his knees. First of all, this is a violation. Lepers are not allowed to be in the presence of people, period. They have to be in colonies. They have to be unclean. They have to keep their distance. And for this leper to come to Jesus and fall in front of him and beg for, for healing, is uh, he's breaking all sorts of Jewish laws. And he speaks to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There is a desperation in this person, and there's an understanding that Jesus has authority and could very well bring healing to his life. And so he violates all the social norms, and he falls in front of Jesus. And the story tells us that Jesus is filled with compassion. Now, mind you, there's some Greek text that says, and Jesus was angered, he was indignant. That's just a few of the Greek. The, the Aramaic translations is compassion. He was filled with compassion. And, but, but I remember reading that and, and, and studying that and just saying, gosh, why was Jesus angry? I've been reading a, a story on, on, on the life of Smith Wigglesworth. And they said that Smith was a pretty harsh person at times, but the people that really knew him said, no, he wasn't. He was a very loving, kind, he loved people. But when he was ministering with authority, he just spoke truth. He didn't care about hurting feelings. He just spoke truth. And one of the things that really caught me as I was reading about Smith Wigglesworth was that he hated the ravages of sin. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, you know, there could be a sense that when Jesus saw the leprosy on the man, he saw the ravages of sin. And it angered him. I could see that. But he saw the person and he was moved with compassion. I thought, Lord, there's something that I'm inviting the Holy Spirit currently into my life and to my heart to make me hate the ravages of sin. I find that I have adopted a toleration that's probably not healthy for me or others. And it's like, Lord, I need to, I need to have your heart and hate when I see, because that will motivate us to action. I can walk by somebody right now that's having some effects of the ravages of sin in their life, and I can just kind of turn like one of the guys on the Good Samaritan and cross on the other side and say, well, that, they made some choices. They made some bad choices, so that's their, that's their problem. Or, or no, I don't, I don't have time to get involved. I think when we hate the ravages of sin, that's the one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that when we get to a place that we have such compassion for people, especially those who are hurting, those who are in need. When our compassion parallels and our anger parallels the love and the anger of the Lord, I think we'll see action. I think we will no longer be able to walk by and dismiss. I think we'll find that the Holy Spirit will be speaking and pricking our hearts 
and encouraging us to step out and release his authority in the lives of other people. So Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man. Now in the chosen, when they show this in the chosen, you can see the disciples and all the people that are following Jesus at the time when they see, they run the other direction. They understand the contagiousness of leprosy. And I, there's probably not a, a more hideous disease than leprosy, especially the kind that affects the nerve endings and so they don't know when they're, when they're hurting themselves, when they're in fire, those kind of things. And so it was, we, we see, and Jesus touches and the man is healed. But Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. Mm. When, I, when I saw that, I just thought, you know, one thing that we need to understand is that's the heart of the Lord for all illnesses. He is willing. He is willing. And here he, he does what Bob Combs has seen a revelation of, and, and Bob has shared that with our daily connection, and he shared it in his, in his sermons. But when I saw that, he just says, be clean. It's that be. Light, be, and there was light. <laughs> Leprosy, cleansed, be, and he was clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. So that gets us to the last segment of our, our chapter today. Jesus sent him away with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Don't tell this to anyone. Go show yourself to the priests the priest was kind of the, the, the societal medical director that then would be able to see if, if the leprosy truly was no longer contagious, that the sores have gone, that they just didn't go. They had to have a follow-up checkup in seven days. He'd come back before he'd be back into society. He would follow up in another seven days to find out if the leprosy had come back or what, it, what his state was. So he's supposed to go and show himself to the priests so he could be fully socially brought in according to the culture so that he could be fully declared clean and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. These were sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices of acknowledging, it had a variation. You'll find this in Leviticus, that if you were poor, the sacrifices was, was this kind of sacrifice. If you were wealthier, the sacrifices was a sliding scale sacrifice. And so they had that kind of dynamic so that he could be fully incorporated, reintegrated into the community. So it wasn't just a ceremonial thing that Jesus was asking him to do, but it was something that would be to the medical examiner of their day 
to getting back, back in school, back in community. I can't help but think it might have had an effect on how the, the religious community saw Jesus. If this young guy had, had if, this, if, if this leper had followed the instruction, it might, have, it might have had an impact to the priesthood of Jesus. And here Jesus is following according to the rules of the law. But what happens when Jesus does what Jesus does? I, 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 I'm not getting too heavy on the leper because I don't know how you don't scream and shout and jump for joy and show everybody uh, your skin and run around. And, and, and so he does, he, he goes through all that he, instead. He goes out and he begins immediately spreading it. And, uh, and it's really interesting to me that the people aren't afraid of contracting leprosy from this guy. Do you realize he's, 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 he's given his testimony everywhere. He's going around telling what Jesus just did for him, all this kind of stuff. And nobody's saying, oh, get back, get back. You're a leper. No, they see the evidence of the miracle, the cleansing, the healing, and they're not waiting for another seven days to see if, it, if, it's, if it's secure, whether it's gonna stay. But the result was that Jesus couldn't go to town openly. He just couldn't go because he was recognized. You know, and there's a lot of folks that, that move in the ministry in the kingdom, they get recognized and now they lose some of their, their privileges and, and you find that with movie stars and all that kind of stuff. But there, there is a reality that, and Jesus was trying to stay unnoticed from just what he could do so that he could get out the message of the preaching and the proclamation to as many villages as possible. So he had to stay outside in lonely places and yet the people still came to him. So the leper didn't derail the kingdom of God and the ministry and focus of Jesus. He just put a little glitch in it. And that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is so good that once people see who he really is, everybody's gonna want a king like Jesus. Everybody's gonna want the Lord as their savior and the Lord Jesus as their Lord because he's that good. Doesn't matter where you are, he's coming for us. So Father, we just thank you for today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you take all the, the different exhortations of, of this message and you cause them to hit the spot in our hearts to encourage us. First of all, we want to affirm, Lord, that we believe that you are a healing, good, gracious God. We prayed for people that we haven't seen healed from our perspective, We've made presentations of salvation 
to people from our perspective that never said yes to Jesus, never invited him in his heart. And on both counts, Lord, we're neither gonna stop sharing the good news of salvation, and we're not gonna stop praying for the sick. Lord, we, we pray today that you would put within us a holy resolve to spend time with you until our, our hatred of the ravages of sin consume us and the full love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the lost, for the hurting, fill us so that we become your witnesses in the earth, having received power to speak and to pray, and with the authority to release your power over sickness, over darkness in all its forms, and to see light and life come to the earth. And for this, we'll be eternally, eternally grateful. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.